Good morning, Crossroads Ministries. It's great to be worshiping with you this morning. It's a beautiful day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us online. If you're tuning in, we're happy to see you. We'll be praying for you. If you're in the auditorium, would you please stand as we worship our great God here this morning? Here we go.
Amen. You may have a seat. Good morning. Good morning. It's it's good to be with you all. I want to welcome everybody. I want to welcome all of our guests joining us. Uh, please, all of our guests. My name is Luke. You now know one person. Uh, but I also wanted to let you know, please stop by the Welcome Center before you leave. Please, it would mean the world to us. We'd love to give you a, a gift by just saying thanks for being here. And we also would love to get to know you. You're important with you about Please use the connect cards in front of you. Um, you can put an anonymous prayer request. You could say, hey, I'm, you know, growing and I would like a resource or I would like to know, you know, I have a question about something and we'll follow up with you. If you would like someone to follow up with you, I would like more information about kids ministry. You have questions are to 94,000. There's all kinds of different ways um, to get information and to find out kind of your next step here at Crossroads. So use that. Use those different um, avenues to get connected here. Um, as well, stop by the Welcome Center and be like, hey, I'm curious about something. I want to get more information. They are the group to talk to. They're wonderful people out there. Guys, there's a lot of things coming up, and I want to give you a few things that are coming up. One is that uh, we have our Next Steps membership class on April 30th. And so this is for anybody looking to become a part of what we're doing here at Crossroads. Um, you know, this is saying, I've been here. I want to learn more about what Crossroads is all about. I believe in this place. And I want to start to get rooted here. I want to be an owner. So membership for us is more about ownership. It's saying, okay, I'm going to serve. I'm going to be a part. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that I'm all about the family here at Crossroads. And so that is going to be on April 30th. There's going to be lunch provided as well as child care if needed, as needed. And so you can sign up online or stop by the Welcome Center. And then on May 7th, we're having our uh, mother-daughter spa day. So if you go on our website, you can RSVP. You can also use the Connect card and then stop by the Welcome Center. Um, And you can go online. You can see all the different activities that the moms and daughters will be uh, taking part in. It's going to be a sweet day for the moms and daughters. That's on May 7th. And then looking, uh, looking ahead on June 7th, um, my, my wife and I are going to be leading a six-week study uh, starting at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night, June 7th, uh, called Mama Bear Apologetics. So don't let the title, uh, don't let the title uh, scare you away. It's for anybody, um, even people that don't have kids or kids are out of the house. And so what we're going to be doing is using a book to basically guide us through discussion that's going to help us say, okay, Let's address the cultural lies that our children are being fed, and let's give them biblical truth to help them challenge those lies. And so that's going to be on June 7th. You can RSVP online and let us know you're coming, or use the Connect cards and stop by the Welcome Center. But that's going to be June 7th. All that information is online uh, to register and see more information about it. And then child care is also available on June 7th, and it's going to be a six-week study. Guys, I also... God has just been good to us. We, you know, we worship God through song, through how we live our lives. And one of those ways is that we give. And so thank you, thank you church, for being faithful unto the Lord. Would you stand with me as we continue on this morning? But God moments in your life. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for being here with us. Lord, we love you so much. It's all because of Jesus Christ that we can stand here. Thank you for the truth that we read in your word. Lord, six-week study on apologetics to teach our children how to challenge the cultural lies that they're being fed every single day, that we're being fed as people every single day. Thank you for the truth. And three days later rose again and that we can place our faith in Jesus Christ and be saved. Thank you. Thank you, God. But God demonstrated his own love toward us. God, thank you for that truth. Thank you for that truth. Be with us as we uh, meet with you now, Lord, and we hear from your word. We love you, Jesus, so much in your name.
count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. He won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name.
has been looking at series of statements, but God. What does God say? Life happens, but God steps in. Uh, one lady was leaving this morning, and she said, now, you said there's 45 statements. I said that on Easter. There's 45 but God statements. She goes, is this series going to go for 45 weeks? I said, I don't think so. She goes, well, I want to learn all those but God statements. And I think that's exciting. Isn't that what God's doing in our church? So God is just creating a hunger and thirst for the Lord. And that's exciting to me because as we come to know the Lord, it changes everything about your life. Your life will change when you get this but God moment. When you step in and into the reality of who God is and watch that we can see that he is moving and that he's working. You know, there's a lot of times bad stuff's happening in your life. There's just a lot of things that are happening. Right now we're looking at the world scene. The world scene looks pretty bad. But when you live, uh, when you live, and you look at the, some of the things that are happening, and you see people that are maybe your antagonists, people that have done things that might even caused you harm, you can uh, you can react a few ways. You can react in anger, you can react in bitterness, or you can react in revenge. I mean, there's all kind of things that can happen there. We're going to look this morning at one of my favorite passages in the Bible. So this means don't plan lunch. You're going to be here a while, okay? We, uh, we're going to have fun. This is one of my favorite passages in, in all the Bible. It's a but God statement that is, uh, comes out of the life of Joseph. You know, if there was ever a person who had opposition, it was Joseph. Joseph, man, he, was a, he had a tough life. His brothers hated him. There was such jealousy. There was a, there was a family of 12. 12 uh, 11, he had 11 brothers, so there's 12 of them total. Imagine having that big of a family. Imagine a little sibling rivalry going on, right? Uh, Dad kind of favored Joseph a little bit. So there was uh, all this was taking place in there as they're dealing with, uh, with life and trying to figure out life. And here comes, uh, here comes Joseph, and he's just trying to live for the Lord, and his brothers are jealous of him. So his brothers hated him. They sold him off into slavery. They sold him off into, uh, into the hands of the Midianites. The Midianites didn't want him, so they dump him into Egypt. Potiphar, he, he ends up uh, being a man of integrity. He ends up rising up out of the slavery and uh, helping in Potiphar's palace. And his, uh, Potiphar's wife, the scriptures, I read this just yesterday, says that Joseph was well built and very good looking. I was like, man, these modern translations make it a little too real, right? You know, he was well built and good looking. And, uh, and Potiphar's wife, she goes after him sexually. And she holds on to the outer garment. I mean, he escapes. It's like, yeah, yeah he keeps running away. And, and he gets thrown in jail. Uh, in jail. I mean, you just think, man, is there any hope? You're, you're, he's at the bottom and he's just going through it. He's for, totally forgotten in jail. But yet, he keeps being faithful. He keeps doing what God, because he understood but God. And God promotes him. And God takes him up to be the second in command in, to, in the nation of Egypt. One-fourth of Genesis. Now think about this. The book of Genesis. When you go and you read in the beginning, chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and he talks about the first six days of creation. On the seventh day he rested, and he goes through and talks about the early days of creation. Well, that's a couple chapters. When you come over to Genesis chapter 37 to 50, it's... The rest of that, the rest of that book there, chapters 37 through 50, is all about Joseph, the life of Joseph. Joseph, one quarter of the book of, jo of Genesis is about Joseph. Why? 
Because there's something here that's powerful for you that you can apply to your life. Also, I want you to catch this. Many people believe that Joseph was a type of Jesus, a type of Christ. Like, you could see things about the Messiah would be coming. You can go back at his, look, uh, at his life and you can find out different things about his integrity, how he was persecuted, and the, the great promises of God. And so you see this. They call it a type. It doesn't mean that he is Christ. It doesn't mean that he was a, even foreshadowing, but he's a type. You can see this, the provision coming. One-fourth of Genesis is devoted. Thirteen chapters is devoted to, 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 the book, uh, to Joseph in the book of Genesis. Now, when you think about this, it's, uh, he really has come from rags to riches. He's gone from the bottom to the top. He was literally in the bottom. He's sold off into slavery. He's thrown into the pit. He is as good as dead. I mean, his family has written him off. Uh, they've gone back. They've taken his, his coat of many colors. And they gave it to Dad with some blood on it of an animal. And they said, we don't know what happened to him. And they have written him off. And it's over. Um, Here's what happens, though. He ends up getting promoted all this time away from his family. And now we're going to be looking here at a chapter, chapter 50, which is like the end of his life. Uh, We're going to see the grand crescendo, if you will, of, of of the story of Joseph. It reveals God's providence is what it does. The whole story of Joseph is about the providence of God. Now, providence is God cooperating with the natural laws to to affect a supernatural result. God's cooperating with, with natural laws to make a supernatural effect. And this is what happened. So there was things that were happening in his life that were naturally, just naturally bad but the supernatural was that God was moving and working. It was to, take an or, to make an extraordinary outcome out of ordinary circumstances. So this is what God does. He makes extraordinary out of the ordinary. He shows us the hand of providence. I remember years ago there was a song written by Michael W. Smith. Oh, the hand of providence. Helping us to make the choices that we make. Sometimes we don't understand even the choices that you made in your life. But the hand of providence, God's almighty hand of providence has been upon your life. Joseph proves to us that no matter how bad you had it growing up, no matter where you came from, no matter how bad you had it, no matter how much you were mistreated, mishandled, misjudged, you can now live well. You can do this by the power of God. Joseph's story shows us that all these powerful things about a life that was so messy. Let me tell you. He had a messy family, but God stepped in. Would you say that with me? A messy family, but God. Now listen, every one of us have come from a dysfunctional family. I want you to know that. I thought it was just my family. Every family is dysfunctional. There's not one family that functions 100% according to the plan of God, according to what he's called us to do. Not one of us are perfect. We all have failures and mistakes. So let's just put that on the table right away. A messy family. He came from a messy family. Joseph proved that no one needed to be held down by the past baggage. Your baggage of yesterday, your family does not have to hold your future, my friend. His dad, Jacob, had four wives at the same time. Four wives at the same time. His brothers, they were involved in rape, incest, murder, And what we today know is human trafficking because they sold their own brother into slavery. 
I mean, you want to you want to talk about coming from a messed up family, man. Their family was messy, but yet God steps in and God still is going to perform His work. You know, I'll never forget years ago, um, just looking at my own family life and knowing that you know we we didn't come from the the most functional of anything where I lived, and um, and, and then I met my wife and you know I thought that her family was perfect. And uh, and then, you know, I said, well, this is pretty cool until she meets my family. We'll see if she keeps dating me after she meets my family, right? So she met my family, and, I mean, how could you pass this up? I'm just telling you. This is, this is, this is something to recommend here, right? So, so uh, she just overlooked all that stuff, and I'll never forget. We had some challenging discussions, and I, and I still to this day, listen, I really believe your family helps, helps to mold you, but they don't make you. God is the one who makes you. Um, there is a lot of stuff. Let me tell you, I, I've suffered a lot of heartache in my family. And uh, the Barner side of the family has had a lot of issues. But thanks be to God, he stepped in and he made a change for my life. And God will do that for your life as well. There are no perfect families. Genesis 50 is the, is the grand finale of this family And we see this family drama, but we see God stepping in here. So Jacob had died. Their their dad's name was Jacob. So I want to put the whole story into a little bit of perspective for you. Joseph, his great-grandfather, would have been Abraham. So you have Abraham is given a promise by God, I'm going to make a great nation. Abraham has kids, and then the next generation of kids. And then we see this family's unfold. Jacob... The Mormonizer ends up having all these kids. And those 12 kids would end up one day becoming the 12 tribes of Israel because God kept his promise. Even though these people were acting crazy and even though these people were messed up, you see, God in his grace and in his mercy still keeps his promise. And that's what is so powerful to me as I look at the Scripture. So I want, I want to encourage you today. Number one, no matter where, where you've come from, where your family background has been, God is working in your life. Oh, this is so good. This is at the end now, Genesis 50, verse 15. This is at the end of Jacob's life, their father. They have just buried him. They take him. They were in Egypt. Joseph is second in command in the country of Egypt. And uh, and they had come over from their land that God that they that God where God told them to stay. They had come over, and uh, and while they were there, they, they needed food. There was a famine, and and Joseph gives them says, "Hey, you can stay here. We're going to look at that in just a little bit." But God does this incredible work, and then Jacob dies a few years later into the famine here. And so after after Jacob dies, they go and they they take him back to Canaan. And they give him a proper burial in Canaan. And then Joseph goes back, and he's second in command. He has, to, he has to do his job. And the 11 brothers are back to Goshen. And look what it says here. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil that we did to him. You know what's going on in this passage right here? Guilt. Their guilt was coming out, man. They were, they were speaking their guilt. Um, you know, you can do that. If you're carrying a lot of guilt, you can personify that guilt onto other people, right? Uh, they had, they, they had, this stuff had already been dealt with. 
And now they're saying, well, basically, you know, Jacob's gone. Our dad is gone. Maybe, you know, maybe Joseph is now going to strike against us because we got rid of him. And we can't believe that he's still alive. And, and now they're, he's gonna, he, maybe he's going to get us back. And so all this guilt was building up inside of them. Joseph's brother got rid of him. They sold him to the Midianites. Uh, he'd been taken to Egypt. And the story goes on. Uh, they thought that Joseph was dead. And then they found out here um, some 30 years later, 30 to 40, right in that range. I'm going to say 35 to 40 years later, they end up finding out that he is the second in command. He basically was the controller of the world's economy. Egypt was the superpower of that moment. And he is second in command. He is controlling the world's economy from right over there in Egypt. And God gives him this place of great, of great position. And so Joseph has provided, protected for his brothers. And they, they have already been living this. And now they come in and they say, but perhaps Joseph will hate us. And so what happened? First of all, they feared that Joseph, they feared Joseph's personal emotion. They feared that Joseph would personally be like, this this would be a personal thing between them and it would finally come out. Perhaps Joseph will hate us. The the word for hate there is satam. And the word satam in Hebrew means basically to have a hate that you don't let go of. It's called to hold a grudge. That he would hold a grudge, that he would have long-term unforgiveness and hatred towards us. And, uh, and they would be afraid of that. And not only would they be afraid of that, they would be afraid of his action, that he would actually repay us for all the evil. In other words, our brother Joseph has been nursing a grudge against us, and we are worried that it's going to come to full vent, and he's going to take it out on us, and we're going to have to deal with this. And folks, let me just say this. What was happening was they were dealing with guilt on the inside. And a guilty conscience is overwhelming. A guilty conscience is overwhelming. You know, when, when we have guilt, it just destroys a person. Psalm 38 verse 4 says this, My guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. You see, when we're dealing with guilt, guilt is that thing that just kind of eats away at us. Charles Spurgeon said, I'd rather bear any affliction than to be burdened with any guilty conscience. I'd rather have any other thing than to have a guilty conscience. And guilt will do that to us. It just destroys us. My guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. It's been roughly 40 years, 35 to 40 from as I'm calculating in the scripture there. Say 40 years since they sold him into slavery. You know what happens whenever you go in and you see somebody that you haven't seen for 40 years you're holding a grudge on? That you're guilty, that you, you have this guilt that's been eating away at your soul. 40 years they've been carrying the load of guilt. My friends, according to the scripture, you don't have to carry the load of guilt anymore. That's why Christ came and he died on the cross. He paid for your sin. It was forgiven at the cross once for all forever. And you don't have to walk around with this load of guilt. Guilt distorts reality. It really does. When you, it's like a filter. You see everything through. So you're always mad at everybody. And you see everybody through this filter of guilt. And you don't even know it. Because you're dealing with this guilt. And you, you, you know, so the, here's what was happening. These guys, they had this guilt over this issue that they had gotten rid of their brother. 
their brother has already forgiven them and they're still living in their guilt because it's their problem on the inside. They needed a, they needed a God moment. They need to come back and say, okay, I'm going to respond to this stuff in a different way now. Forty years, you know, at 40 years you haven't seen somebody, they look a whole lot different. Did you ever notice that? Man, there's, I heard there's an app that you can upload your picture to and it will show you what you look like in 40 years from now. I don't want to know. I don't like what I'm looking in my app now. You know what I mean? It's bad as it is. Um, I, my guilt overwhelms me. Guilt will eat away at your soul. It eats away at your body. It eats away at your emotions, your, your uh, social. Man, when there's guilt, so we've got to have it taken care of. The guilt was dealt with at the cross. Every bad decision, every sin that you have ever committed or ever will commit was taken care of at the cross. Jesus died. He paid for that. And it was done. It is finished. He settled that account. And so we get to have this, this life where we can let go of the guilt. Uh, these, these brothers, they thought Joseph hated them. They thought that he was unforgiving. And Joseph wasn't living that way. Joseph wasn't carrying around this burden of guilt. He was set free. Folks, here's what guilt does to us. Guilt is like rust. Now, I, I went over the other day, and I opened up. It was 80 degrees, so what I do? I opened up my barbecue. I had to put a piece of salmon on there, right? No, a hamburger. <laughs> and uh, as I looked down into there, I looked down at the bottom of that thing. You know, they have that, you have that tray. I got the, 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 the uh, gas grill. I'm looking down there, and I see this tray under there that catches all the grease, has a little hole in it. Did you know you're supposed to clean that thing? <laughs> I'm sure it's in the directions, but I never really paid attention to it, right? So, you know, in October, when I closed up shop for the winter, I put it down. I, I didn't think nothing of it. I opened that up on that 80 degree last week, and I said, this is going to be the best burger I've ever had. And I looked down, and there's this gaping hole in the grease pan. And you know what happens? Here's what rust does. Rust starts off with just a little bit of discoloration. And, you, and this is what we all do. It's just a little bit of rust. It ain't going to hurt nothing. It's just rust. Get over it, right? And you see that little bit of brown mark start to come. And you see what red, brown, whatever. I'm colorblind. I just see it gets discolored. And, of course, when you've got hamburger grease over it, you don't even know what's going on. And all of a sudden... When the mouse ate through that thing, it was rust. And you see, that's what guilt does to you and to me. It eats away at our soul. It eats away at your very being, and it destroys you. My guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. I want to encourage you, don't respond like the 11 brothers living in guilt. You don't have to live in guilt anymore. God has freed you from that. Don't go there. Verse 16. So they sent messengers to Joseph. They're so paranoid that they, so they've had the funeral. Now they're sending a messenger and they're so paranoid that they're going to, like, they don't even show up themselves. They send messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you. Please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sins, for they did evil to you. Now, please forgive the trespass. And, and look what they do. They even throw this in there. Of the servants of God, of the God of your father. 
You know, you don't want to hurt God's servants, do you? You don't want to hurt him. And so Joseph responds to these messengers. He wept. He cried when they spoke to him. Man, I'll tell you what. They, they come up and they make up the story. It's kind of interesting. They make up the story that somehow Jacob said this. Uh, if you go over into Genesis chapter 49, you will see that Jacob has his last words. He has all the sons together. And it goes through each son. Kind of a little bit almost foretelling their future. And he gives them their last words. But we don't see any of this talk in Genesis 49 whenever, whenever they're all together. So it's likely that these guys that came in and in their guilt, in their, in their stress, they come up with this story. And they give this story over to, to Joseph. You know, they're sending it to Joseph now. The dad really said this and he likely didn't even say it. Verse 18, then his brothers also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we are your servants. So now his brothers come in, and they get down on their knees, and they're crying, and they're saying, "You, We are your servants. Oh, my goodness. Let me say five or so, maybe. I'm not sure the exact timing in there. But several years earlier, whenever they had come and they had discovered who he was, man, Joseph had forgiven him. This was done. He wasn't holding a grudge on them. Joseph always lived from the but God perspective. You see, when I live from but God, but God allows me to see life. You only see your hurt, your pain, and you interpret and you react to everything that way. But, but God allows me to see life differently. Would you say that with me? But God allows me to see life differently. Man, that's what he does. He, over to Genesis chapter 45, and you're going to see this moment whenever the forgiveness actually did happen. It is so powerful. It's so freeing. Um, look, he reveals himself to his brother. Verse um, 1, for Genesis 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not restrain himself because, all, because before all those who cried out... Let me start over. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph... Then Joseph said to his brothers... I am Joseph. Does my father still live? Now imagine 40 years later, you're getting to have this moment. 35 years later, you're having this moment where they come in before you and you haven't seen them. And these are the people who betrayed about his dad. He loves his family and he cries. He bawls his eyes out. You know, I've had a few of those statements, a few of those discussions before. Man, I've had that with my own family. Well, I look and I see people that are holding on to this guilt and bitterness. And, man, you know, he's crying because he wants to free them. They need to be freed from this. He lived at the but God level. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Could you imagine that? You hadn't seen him, and the eleven of you banded together that we're going to make him as good as dead. We sold him off, and surely he's no, nowhere near. And then you come in. There's a famine in the land. They come over to get food, and he's like, uh-oh. <laughs> That's my brother. Really? And, and so they're standing in awe. They're dismayed. They can't even speak at this point. And verse 4, And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now, 
Do not therefore, now I love this, here is the forgiveness right here. Do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourself because you sold me here. Folks, this, this verse is so important. Do not be grieved or angry with yourself. Do you know how many people are living their life because they haven't even... It is forgiven. It is over. It is finished. You come to him. You start this relationship with Christ. And now, look what what Joseph... For God sent me before you to preserve life. For those two years... For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a prosperity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. This is but God's plan. But God steps in, and his plan is to save a great many. Is to save us. His plan is always to save by the deliverance. And who's the deliverance by? It's by Jesus Christ. Now catch this. If I were Joseph, do you know what I would have wanted to do at that moment? I'd have been standing here and I'd been saying, you rascals. you got a lot of nerve. I'm going to make them sweat a while. I'll give them a few crackers to get them started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're going to feel this, and they're going to feel it bad. No, no. You know what he did? He went right to the truth of who he is, who God, the work that God did in his life. And he says, don't you dare not forgive yourself. Do not be grieved and do not forgive yourself because of the mistakes, because of what you did to me. Now, listen, that's a powerful a powerful display of forgiveness. And you can only do that when you're living from the but God point of view. Verse 8, so it was not, so now it was not you who sent me here, but God. There is our statement, verse 8. It was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father, a counselor to Pharaoh. And the Lord of all of his house. Man, I get to rule over all the house of Pharaoh. And a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. He's the second most important, powerful person in the world at this moment. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me. Do not wait. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. Oh, Goshen was a plush place over in Egypt. He says, you're going to come and you're going to dwell there. And you shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. Do you realize what he says there? You're going to be near to me. Listen, folks, when you have unforgiveness in your heart, you can't be anywhere near that person. He says, I'm letting this go. And you are going to be close. And I'm going to take care of you and your kids and everybody. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. For there are still five years in the famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth. So he says, come here, you guys look. And Benjamin, look. 
See that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So go tell my father. Go tell my father of all of my glory in Egypt and all that you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Why could he do that? Because he lived from a but God moment. That's a high level understanding. It's like flying at a different altitude, man. He's flying high. He's like, I'm not going to be down in this but me moments. Joseph's brother lived from the but me. Man, it was all, but God, you don't understand me. But God, why me? Why me? Why me? Joseph told him about, Joseph had told them about his dreams as a young man. And they said, but what about us? But me. Joseph brings us a message from his, uh, Joseph brings a message to them from their dad. And, uh, and they get jealous. They despise him, but we despise him. Here comes Joseph in his coat of many colors. But we are going to show him we're going to sell him off into slavery. Now dad is dead and Joseph is the prime minister. But we are going to outsmart him again. You know what that's called? That's called self-preservation. But me. But me. But me. And it's a very dangerous place to be because, listen, all they want to do is they're trying to manipulate and make everybody happy and get out of it. Folks, Proverbs 29, 25 says it like this. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. You know, when, uh, De- when Joseph ran away from Potiphar's wife, he could have made Potiphar's wife very happy. But he chose not to. He chose to make the Lord happy. And you see, here's what happens. When I fear what people are saying about me, that's a dangerous trap. But trusting the Lord means safety. You will find safety there. Folks, we live in a world that that really needs to hear this verse. We live in a world that has social media at our fingertips constantly. You can have on here Facebook, InstaTwit, TikTok, Ding Dong. I don't know. You got them all on there, right? You got your ring doorbell on there. You can see whenever you're getting your Amazon package, right? And you know what happens with that? We become so worried about everybody else's approval. I'm going to, I'm looking through here. And I can't believe it. My neighbor, they had filet mignon. And all I had was macaroni and cheese. So true, though, isn't it? Well, why'd they get the job promotion? Why didn't I get it? Well, you know, I really deserve a bigger house. We have kids. They don't. I mean, and the list goes on. Why did they get the new car? And I didn't. And so what we do is we get on there and we go, all right, I'm going to show them my stuff. And I learned how to take a selfie and lose 10 pounds instantly. (laughs) You go right there. And you are losing it, right? You are like, boom. Why? Because I fear what you think more than what the Lord means. Than trusting the safety of the Lord. And listen, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. It really doesn't matter. There's only one person that matters. It's God himself. 
Folks, I want to encourage you, get your kids off this stuff. It's a, it's a dangerous world out there. And I think it's even more dangerous for parents. All right, we use Facebook to get the church stuff out. But I'll be honest with you, it's a dangerous world out there. And my danger is not for what's out there, it's for what's within you already. Because it's so easy for you to say, I just want mom to be happy. I just want my dad to be happy. I want my neighbor to be happy. I want the pastor to be happy. I want all these people around me to be happy. And it's amazing what God what God can do when we're not worrying about somebody else being happy, but we're worried about God. And we enjoy the safety and the, 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 the complete safety and security that comes from God. Folks, don't live for but me. Live for but God. Rely on but God. Would you say that with me? Don't live for but me. Rely on but God. Why was Joseph crying? Man, Joseph wept. Man, he was crying, not for himself, but he's crying for his brothers. He had forgiven them long ago. This was long and done. Genesis 50, verse 19, Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Why does he tell them don't be afraid? Because they're afraid. They're in front of the second most powerful man in the world. And the second, they're afraid that the second most powerful man is going to eat them alive. They're afraid. He says, do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. You see the comfort and assurance right there? And I believe that Joseph said that whenever he ran from Potiphar's wife and he was going to jail. Do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. I believe that Joseph said that whenever he was in the pit and he was sold off into slavery and had all the emotions and definitely had to deal with some anger and sort through all that with his brothers. He says, do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. Verse 20, and this is my, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. But as for you, you meant evil against me. And read it with me. But God meant it for good. God meant it for good in order to bring about, as it is in this day, to save many people alive. God meant it for good. Folks, how does somebody come out with love and forgiveness after you've been gossiped about? After your image has been hurt? After people have destroyed you, misaligned you, lied about you? Man, how do you come out and how do you forgive somebody? It's because you understand but God. When you understand that I am in the place of God, do not be afraid. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Folks, our problems begin whenever we put ourselves in that driver's seat. When we put ourselves on the throne and we say, we want that place. I'm going to call the shots. I've got to take revenge. I've got to do all this in my own power. I like what the apostle Paul said in the book of Romans. He says, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? And I will say to you today that many times we become the counselor of the Lord. Because we tell him, God, why did you let that happen to me? God, if you were so loving, you wouldn't. And we come up with all this stuff and we try to tell God how he ought to run the universe and in particular my life. 
And God says, listen, you've got to come and understand who knows the mind of the Lord. I don't know the mind of the Lord and neither do you. So therefore, the Apostle Paul says rhetorically, who has become his counselor? And sadly, many times we attempt that. God uses even bad events to bring about good results. God uses even bad events to bring about good results. See, providence is not, God does not institute the bad. God does not start the bad. He does not initiate the bad. But God knows how to take the bad and turn it into good into your life. You see, he has a clear understanding. Joseph here had a clear understanding that God is at work, that God is behind the scenes, and that I can trust God for all that outcome. That's called the divine providence of God. I, one, one professor in Bible college said like this. He said, imagine history as it were a glove and the hand of God fitting into the glove and moving history according to his plan. Some of you, my friends, are very worried about the world that we're living in, and so am I. But let me tell you, I don't have to worry too much because there's a mighty hand of God that is moving this whole thing for his purposes. Oh, it's painful at times. I don't like the decisions that are being made. Uh, you know what happens whenever you come in and you, you look up and you see all these things that are happening in your life. Man, you know what was happening with Joseph? Joseph was going through all this pain and Joseph looks up and he sees that the hand of God is moving because God gave my granddaddy a promise. And he promised my granddaddy that he'd make him a great nation. And I'm one of the 12 descendants of this thing. There's only about 70 of them right now. Do you know what's going to happen? Joseph takes them and gives them to, uh, sends them to the land of Goshen. And if you go look on the map, it's right there right in Egypt. And it's a very lush place. They're protected. They're provided for. But what would happen is after Joseph dies, um, basically the, the, these people that he sent there, a group of 70 descendants, for the next 400 years lived there. They end up becoming the slaves in Egypt. They end up having a population of two to three million. And then a guy by the name Moses arrives on the scene and God says, you tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Do you see what was going on here? The mighty hand of God. He was setting up a nation. Why did he need a nation? Because he was going to bring the Messiah that the whole world would know would be able to save the whole entire world. And you know what God had to do? He had to, put, he had to allow Joseph to get in the pit. He had to allow Joseph to be as good as dead. He had to allow Joseph to go through suffering and to be a man of integrity and to trust the great God's promise. I love the songs we sang today. But sometimes we just leave them as songs. They've got to motivate. They've got to change us. They've got to transform our life. You know, every now and then I'll look at the hand of providence in my life and I'll say, God, why did you allow my family like this when I was a young kid? Well, you know what? If I wouldn't have had a family like I had, I may never have got on that bus to come out here to go to Sunday school. And if they would have never given donuts out, I'd been the skinniest man alive. <laughs> but they sent that bus all the way down there to Dormont. Somebody asked me the other day, what did they do back then? Listen, this church has always had the vision and mission to reach the world for Jesus. And that's where we're going to keep going, folks. There's thousands of lost people. If I wouldn't have had such a messed up family that needed free babysitting for their kid to go to church, and that's what it was, I got on that bus, and I went to church, and I had free babysitting. 
and free donuts and free church. Man, I remember this church was air conditioning. When I was a kid, not too much places were air conditioned. This place was the happening place. And it's still the happening place because God's here. Amen? I'm sorry. I'm getting a little wild up. But what would have happened if I had this perfect family and I didn't have a need for somebody to love me and care about me? What would have happened if I would have found an interest in something else outside the church youth group? What would have happened if I would have went out and and just said, well, you know what? The drug dealer loves me a little bit more. The hand of God placed people. Many of you were in in my life in those days. God placed all you people in my life. And, And listen, you guys... Listen, 40 years ago, if you would have said, Kenny Barner is going to be the next pastor of the church, you would have laughed. I think some of you were laughing seven years ago. But listen, that's what God does. You know, I often thought about that as I'm going through, you know, you're going, young person, you're going to college, you're dating, you know, dating different girls, you know. Why'd that girl dump me? Because Rhonda would have been missing the world. <laughs> Listen, why'd that girl dump me, you know? And think about that. If that girl didn't dump me, there would be no Carice and Kara. And if there was no Carice and Kara, there would not be a Zach and a John. And whatever else is coming down the road. <laughs> you know, what, what I'm telling you is check this out. That's what God does. Why did I become a youth pastor and not a missionary? It doesn't matter. The hand of providence, the hand of God is moving. Folks, let me tell it to you like this. Romans 8.28 says it so powerfully. And we know, read it with me. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. God makes all things work together for his children, for the good for his glory in our life. That word works together. It's a, a, a Greek word. It means synergy. It means when two things come together, it works together. It, it causes a reaction. Now, several years ago, somebody took one of these water bottles and made a little explosion on my porch. It was the youth group. <laughs> they put Clorox and a, something else in there and Boom, I come out. You know what that was? It was synergy. I told my wife, nothing to worry about. It's just the youth group, honey. All right? I'll never forget that. Because you take two things that don't normally cause a problem. You put them together and there's a reaction. And you know what God says here? He says, all things work together for good. They have synergy. You know what those things are? Let me tell you. The dark things, the bright things, the happy things, the sad things, the sweet things, the bitter things, the times of prosperity, the times of adversity. All that plus God works together for his good in my life. We have to believe that, folks, or else you'll be living life saying, why me? Why me? You can't live in the Wyoming. You've got to say, but God, thanks be to God. I love Romans 8.31. What shall we then say to these things? For if God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us. 
How shall we not with him also freely give us? How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Romans 8:35 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Yet in all these things, verse 37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's not why me, it's we are victory. Do you see that? But God. You, you have issues in your life that you're dealing with. Don't say why me. Don't ask why me. Why not me? Because God is working in my life. But God. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. And here. I love this, verse 38. This is where we've got to put this whole thing together, folks. The Apostle Paul says, For I am persuaded. Memorize these verses, folks. I am persuaded. He doesn't say, you know, I think it's a nice thought. He says, I am persuaded. I am convinced. I am convicted that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Folks, we have been secured in Jesus Christ. You know why He calls it eternal life? Because it's eternal. Your boss can't take that away from you. That Your neighbor who hates you can't take that away from you. All these things that you're dealing with, Listen, God, what they intend for evil, God intends for good. So I want to ask you this morning, how big is your God? How big is your God? You know how big my God is? My God is big enough to take those bad, nasty things that happened in my life and turn them into something beautiful. And you all thought Jesus' miracle of turning water into wine was pretty cool. How about turning the most disgusting things you faced in your life and God transforms your heart and soul for eternity? God has a plan. The plan is always to save many. We've got to have the but God moment. But God demonstrated his love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want to take you to Jesus. He died on the cross. He paid for your sin and He rose again. And He says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved from the punishment of their sin. And so this morning, I invite you to trust Jesus Christ. You've got to start there, folks. And if that's you this morning, I want to invite you to trust Him. Just like I did as a young child here. All you've got to do is call on Him and say, Dear God, I need you. I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. Jesus, you died on the cross. You paid for my sin. You rose again the third day. And I trust you with my heart and soul right now. And for others in this place, maybe you're going through a lot of trials. There's maybe people have done some things. Maybe your past is yes, yesterday is hurting, man. I want you to know that yesterday is gone, but God. And even today, what those people intend for evil, you don't have to live in guilt. You don't have to live in unforgiveness. You can live in the freedom that God is intending for good 
He takes the bad, and he works even the bad for the good in your life, for his good, for his glory. You're his child. He loves you with an unconditional love. Nothing can separate you. Nothing, 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 not your own actions. You cannot separate from the love of God. You cannot escape his love. Why not run to it this morning? Father God, I come before you and I thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you, Lord, for the miracle that you just worked in several people's lives here, Lord. We're sensing your spirit moving, God. The Holy Spirit of God is moving. And, Lord, I know there's probably three, four, maybe five people today that just trusted you as their personal Savior, Lord. We rejoice with them this morning. God, I know that in this room there's a lot of Christians that have been living in defeat, Lord, and you just gave them victory this morning, Lord. They're finding victory at the cross. No longer do they have to carry these burdens. They can live from the level of but God. Lord, transform us as we walk out of this place. Help us to turn this town upside down for Jesus Christ. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing a song of rejoicing to the Lord. Amen? But God, let's sing it to the Lord and worship His holy name. I count on one thing, the same God that never fails. Do not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley.
worshiping you this morning. Please have a wonderful week and go in peace.